If you haven't already, if you'd grab your study guide out of your bulletin and grab a clipboard and a pen, and uh, we'll jump into our discussion. Today we're back in Psalm 119. Uh, for the fifth time, we're working our way through this chapter slowly, eight verses at a time. And uh, we'll be dealing with verses 33 through 40 this morning. In this particular section, we find uh, some really interesting things going on in the life of David. And I think they're going to be very important for us. I think we're going to find these to be incredibly beneficial for uh, our spiritual well-being. But not only our spiritual well-being, I think we're going to find some very helpful things for, uh, for life itself. Just how to have the abundant life that, that Christ came to provide. How to... Uh, let me explain that. Sometimes we talk about an abundant life and people don't really get it. You know, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because it's probably not terminology we would use anymore. Do you want an abundant life? I don't know. What is an abundant life? Uh, you tell me and then I might answer yes or no. But. So an abundant life is that life that is fulfilled. Uh, for most of us, we're looking for something to fill the emptiness inside. An abundant life is a life that provides fulfillment, a life that provides satisfaction in life. It's not an empty life. It's not a hollow life. It's not a life without joy. It's not a life without peace, but it provides those things for us. It's incredible. So God has promised to us uh, through certain avenues that we take in Jesus Christ to have an abundant life. That's what he desires for us. And so today we're going to see how to possess the abundant life. We're also going to see how to have longevity of life. We started into this discussion last week, and we're going to move forward with it to some extent this morning. Now, when we talk about having longevity of life, there is no guarantee that longevity of life for me is age 90. I found out the frailty of my life just a few weeks ago. How easy it would be for me to leave at age 52 or maybe God has the intent of extending my life a little bit longer. That's not in my hands. I don't control that. I have no ability to add one breath to my life. It's all in the hands of God. And so what we do is we seek God. And we're going to talk about that and, and so I, I, I'll just shut up, okay? Because I'm going to get into it early and it's going to mess some things up as far as order is concerned. But I wish you'd keep your study guide handy. Maybe take some notes additional to what you're asked to fill in. Because we're going to be talking about some things that I think are going to be very important for us in our, in our spiritual lives. Okay, so We're going to see three things specifically about David's life. Number one, get ready to write. Let's just jump in here. Number one, we see a life of determination. We see a life of determination. Now, before you jump to conclusions, we're not saying that this was a self-engaged life, that it all depended on David. We'll talk about that and explain that a little bit as we go forward. But regardless of the dependence he had upon God, you still see that he had a life of determination. Look with me at the first three verses, 33 through 35. 
David says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. That's determination. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. That's determination. Lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. Now, as you listen to those three verses, what you find is that this is the prayer of the entire psalm. I mean, what we find is David begging, pleading with God, saying, Give me spiritual enlightenment. Give me understanding about your word. Give me a deeper knowledge of your truths. Help me to know it. And when you do, God, I will keep it. I will do what you told me to do. I will live in obedience. Why was that possible? Why was such determination possible? Because of the fact that David delighted in the Word of God. Now maybe that has significant meaning to you as well. Maybe you've come to the place through life's journey to where you've found the Word of God to be so important in your life. Maybe you've found the joys and the sustaining of life as a result of the Word of God. Maybe you've found the comfort that's contained in Scriptures through difficult times and problems. And maybe you have it. But David had. David knew what it was to enjoy abundant life. And David had prayed in the previous section. You remember what was going on in his life. He had sinned against God. His sin had taken him down a road that looked pleasing. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. David had followed that road to death and destruction. And literally lay face down in the dust begging God for life. Don't let me die right here. Don't let it happen. I mean, we go from seeing this exuberant, this lifeful guy in the first three sections to coming to the fourth section where we see a broken man. A guy who doesn't feel like he has any way to move forward. That life is going to end right there. In the middle of his problems, the middle of his heartaches, he cries out to God, God, through your word, give me life. So he has experienced this firsthand. This isn't something that he's heard about. At least not only. Because David has experienced the life-giving message through God's Word. And so David said, I delight in your Word. Experience has taught me the value and the significance of your Word. But that then brings us to the second thought. And I think it's a very important thought because... We see next a life of godliness. Number two, your next fill in, a life of godliness. If we're not careful, we get the picture that David was very self-involved. And hopefully, if you've been here through previous sections, you understand that that's not the case for David. I mean, David is not one that is gloating or, or saying that he's achieved anything. If anything... He knows what has taken place in his life, what has taken him to that deep, dark place in life. And so now he's crying out. And he says, God, incline my heart to your testimonies, verse 36 and verse 37. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way. 
Godliness versus selfishness. Godliness versus sinfulness. And this is what he's pointing out. There's, there's these two things that are in opposition to one another. He says, I have a desire to live godly. I have a desire to pursue your word. This is my dedication to you, God. This is what I desire for my life. But on the other side, I also remember how easily distracted I was, how easily led astray I was to this thing that brought me to the, de the door of death. I remember that. And so David is crying out to God. He's saying, God, I'm not trying to say that I've achieved. I'm not trying to say, well, everybody just get out of the way. Yeah, I know I messed up, but you watch this because I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just going to keep going. Everything's going to be fine because I have the ability to accomplish this. No, not at all. But in fact, David is saying, I know I can't do this. I know I cannot achieve this. God, I need you to incline my heart to things that are better, things that are greater than what I have inside of me, and that is my old nature. Help me to cleave to that that you've placed inside of me, your Holy Spirit. Help me to learn and to grow, incline my heart to your word so that my focus is right so that I'm not glaring and staring and foaming at the mouth over what the world has to offer. David knew firsthand how problematic that was. He knew how painful it was. He knew how destructive it was. And so his prayer was, God, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. And then he says in verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Worthless things. I, I was uh, researching for this discussion this morning and I ran across a blog by a guy that I had never heard of before. Now that doesn't really mean anything. Certainly I'm not trying to belittle him. But I just want you to know that that I think this was God's very clear direction because I didn't go looking for his blog. It was just one of those things that as I was studying and as I was researching on the computer that this thing just popped up and there it was. I read it and I thought, oh my goodness, that is incredible. The pastor's name, his name is Ben Mott. And the only reason I know he's a pastor is because his blog is titled The Pastor's Study. And so, able to put two and two together, I deduced that this guy's a pastor. And honestly, I did not do research further to find out if I line up with him everywhere else. I, I don't know. So, I'm not telling you go out and follow him on his blog. I wish I had done better uh, preparation, but I didn't. But I'm telling you, what he says here about this verse is remarkable. I'm going to read three small paragraphs to you that if you just have to really pay attention and allow it to sink in, and it can really make a significant difference in the way you view things in this world. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> he said, when we behold something, or when we look at something as is shown in this passage... We are not just seeing it. 
We are also directing our attention to what we are seeing. We are focusing on it. The prayers of verse 36 and 37 fit together because the heart will tend to bend in the direction of whatever the eyes are focused upon. For example, when Eve contemplated the forbidden fruit with her eyes, she was able to convince herself that she should eat it. Genesis chapter 3. Also, after it was found out that Achan had taken and hidden the spoils of Jericho, which God had strictly forbidden, Achan gave forth this telling confession. Joshua chapter 7, he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus I have done. When I saw among the spoils of uh, a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold which weighed 50 shekels of, of uh, weight. Then I coveted it and I took it. And behold, there hid in the earth beneath my tent. He says it was when Achan's eyes beheld spoils that his heart was inclined to covet them. That he didn't just glance and say, yes, that's beautiful, and now I've got a job to do. God's told me to destroy it all. But that he glanced and he saw that it was really nice. And it was something that he desired. It was something that he wanted. And the longer he looked at it, the more he focused upon it, the more his heart was inclined to turn toward that. So that his focus was off of God and his focus was on the things of the world. Now listen, there was nothing wrong with what was there in the dirt on any other occasion. Many of the other battles that Israel fought, God said, take the spoils, they're yours. But this was dedicated to God. God said, destroy it all. Destroy it all. But instead of staying focused on God and what God had given him to do, Achan took his eyes off of God and put it on something that was in the world. You may remember that David did something similar. And David, in a time of weakness, took his eyes off of God and put them on someone that was very beautiful. And instead of going back to where he needed to be, focused on God, David turned his heart and his attention to this woman. And the devastation and the destruction that followed was pretty intense. And so David's prayer, I've been there. I don't want to go back. So God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Don't let me get stuck in this. Don't let me focus on it. But instead, he says, give me life in your ways. How important. Give me life in your ways. I've tried this other way. And I certainly didn't like where it took me. It looked so promising, but it was so empty. 
It looked like it was going to deliver so much, but it was so hollow. God, I've tried that way. Now, I want to learn your way. I want you to focus my heart on your word. I want you to incline my understanding to know your will, to know your word, to know your testimonies, to know your commandments. Because I have understood personally the benefits of your word. I have felt the pain of ignoring your word. I have felt the pain of turning my focus off of you and placing it on worldly things. And now, God, I don't want anything else to do with that life. I desperately need you to turn my eyes back to you. We see such an incredible dependence upon God. David was not self-involved. David did not think he had all the answers. David was not trying to promote that he could somehow bring himself out of difficult situations. But what he was praying was, God... I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what you direct me to do. But what I desperately need for you to do is to keep me strong, to pull my heart and pull my attention back to you. How does God do that? What David is showing is that God does it through his word. The more we invest in his word... The more we are determined to spend time in the Word of God, the more we are determined to make the Word of God a priority in our lives, the more God begins to lead us, begins to direct us, begins to teach us. And something amazing happens when God teaches us. As experience in life takes us down the road that that allows us to see firsthand the benefits of God's Word, it causes us to want to be more obedient to God. It causes us to want to live in such a way that we honor God with our lives through our obedience. Jesus said, people will know that you love me if you keep my commandments. And so we honor God through our obedience to Him. And so we see this process developing where we say, God, please teach us, please instruct us. And God does. He equips us with his word. And through that, an understanding of the goodness of God to us through his word, and we become more obedient. We become more a person who honors God. And we become people who say, God, I want to know your way. And we're going to see this circle continue with our next thought here. Because number three, we also find that this was a life of confirmation. It's a life of confirmation. David, understanding he does not have the ability to survive his weaknesses of life on his own, cries out to God and he says, God, I need you to... Direct my heart towards you. But then he says in verses 38 through 40, praise this. He says, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. 
Turn away the, the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Confirm to your servant your promise. What is he saying? He's saying, God, would you, would you keep your promise to me? And what is that promise? It's the promise of life. We saw this in another place of Scripture where God shows us this promise of life. It's not just talk. It's not just an emotional feeling, but it's actually a promise from God. We talked about it last week, the verse of the Bible that says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm going to teach you the right thing to do. This is spiritual life. You find it in my word. That it may be well with you, the verse goes on to say. In other words, that you may have abundant life. You may actually enjoy your life here. Not that it will be free of problems. Not that it will be free of difficulties. But that you can enjoy your life here and now. And then it goes on to say, and that you may live long on the earth. You may live long on the earth. Throughout the time that David was in the middle of this request, he had experienced the goodness of God. He, had, he felt that firsthand. And now he's saying, God, in my weakness, in my time of difficulty, I'm coming off of this very bad place in my life where I followed a, a road that's led me to death and destruction. In this place, I need for you to once again confirm your promise to me. I need to see it in action. I need you to, to teach me and instruct me so that I may grow deeper. And this was surprising to me, this next part. Deeper in the fear of you. What I really desire is to fear you to the extent that I don't want to get my focus off of you. I want to have such a healthy respect of who you are that, that I couldn't possibly want to get my focus off of you. This past week, something happened inside our family and... We as a family started praying. We desperately needed God to move and to, to deal with something. The health of one of our family members. And I tell you what, you know, it just seems like lately we're jumping from fire to fire. And it, it, was, it was just one of those things. It was just one of those really stressful things to where we were praying, God... We really need you to do something here. Now this, is, this story has a positive turn. It's not to say that God is any less good or God is any less faithful had it had a negative turn. But I can tell you that when God heard and answered our prayers and the oncologist came in and told that she didn't think there was cancer there. That all of a sudden, there was a new enthusiasm in our family for worshiping God. 
we had had that experience. We had seen firsthand the blessings, the incredible comforting power, the joy of being a child of God. We had experienced it. And as a result, the thanksgiving and the worship that poured from our hearts was no doubt what God wanted all along from us. God was just extending the kindness of saying, I want to show you, I want to confirm to you my goodness. I want to show you that I'm watching out for you. And no, things may not always go the way you want them to. A lot of times they don't. But you know I'm always here. Always faithful. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. David prays in verse 39, Turn away the reproach that I dread. For your rules are good. Now this is not the reproach of people. We've seen in a previous section that David was concerned about the reproach of people. That they were giving him a hard time. But here I think as you study it out, what you came to come to understand is that David was very concerned about the shame that he had felt in front of God as a result of his sinful times. And so he was praying, God, I don't want to experience that shame again. I don't want to go through the process of transgressing your law, which is going to take me to an ugly place in life. And I don't want to go through that shame before you again. So God, would you just turn it away? Would you just, would you just keep me focused on you. Keep, keep my eyes on you. Not on the other things that the world offers. You know, humanly speaking, the world offers a lot of pretty cool things. Wealth, power, prestige, lust, greed, financial gain, some of those things, there's really not that much wrong with them unless we allow them to become our God. David had allowed that to happen in his life. We don't know exactly what area. Maybe he's talking about the time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband to try and hide it. Maybe that's what he was talking about in the previous section. But it seems like there was probably something else that had happened. And David's focus had gotten off God and he had, he had focused on something that 
looked so good, but was taking him to a very dangerous place. And he said, I know firsthand that your rules are good. The community, society, tries to convince me that the Word of God is not beneficial, that it's restrictive, and yet David is saying, and I can say it with him, that I have experienced firsthand the blessings that come through the Word of God. I have seen that the Word of God is not restrictive like I thought it was when I was in my teens and twenties. But that it is exactly what I need for spiritual life, for abundant life, and for physical life. And therefore, David said, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. We see the circle completed now because David says, I want you to teach me. I want you to instruct me so that I can grow, so that I can obey your word and worship you the way you deserve to be worshipped. So that you will give me life. So that you can teach me. So that you can give me understanding so that I will grow, so that I will obey your word, so that I will worship you the way you deserve to be worshipped, so that you can give me life, so that you can teach me, so that I can gain understanding, so that I can grow. And you see the process. might have started out as a very small process, but over the years it's grown and it's built to where David has developed and matured as a Christian, as a child of God. And now he's giving us the information and he's saying, if you want life, you want real life, not something that the world promises, but you want real life, here's the way to get it. So what do we do with this information? You know, my way of thinking, we've we, we got to get our focus back where it belongs. We've got to get our focus on God. And how do we get our focus on God? We invest time in the Word of God. And we let God teach us and instruct us so that we can grow live in obedience and worship Him so that He'll give us life so that the circle can continue. If you would, allow me to go off topic for just a second because something dawned on me this past Monday or Tuesday evening. Uh, we were having a leaders meeting and we were talking about just future plans and uh, we were talking about how important it is to do life together and as I was sitting there God just dropped a thought on me he said you know it seems that every time David got into moral difficulty he was by himself he was all alone. 
There was probably people around him, but he wasn't in tune with them. You know, there wasn't really anybody, anyone that was engaged with David. And I mean, he was the king, so maybe that was a little more difficult for him to have. I don't know. But it just reminded me of how blessed we are at Mile Straight to have things that are intentionally designed to help us do life together. To where we carry each other's problems. We pray for each other. Things like Sunday school, Bible study classes. Celebrate recovery. These things where you've got hurts or hang-ups or habits, you can come and you can get with people who are also struggling with things, who have difficulties just like we do. And by the way, I don't think any of us are excluded from that. We can come together and we can share each other's burdens. And as we talked, we were just talking about the importance of continuing to develop ways for that to happen. And in future months, you're going to see those opportunities for us just to get together and do life together. And so my prayer for us and what we would do with this information based upon what I've just said is that if you're not already, that you would seek out those opportunities to do life with other people. If you're not involved in a Sunday school class on Sunday morning, about two-thirds of us are, but there's a third of people who for whatever reason you just never gotten connected there. Man, you can't imagine how beneficial it would be to you to get plugged into a class. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Let me just make it as easy as possible. You can do one of two things. Either come and see me or one of our other pastors and we'll help you. Or just write a note on your connection card. You can just write SS Sunday School. We'll know what that means and we'll contact you this week. And we'll help direct you to a place we think you'll fall in love with. A place where you can do life with other believers. One final thought. What do we do with this information? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, man, I hope and I pray that you can see the incredible benefit of being part of the family of God. Today, I would just invite you, when the music begins playing and Jason begins to sing, that that would be your opportunity just to step out and meet me right here at the front. Thank you.